Welcome to the Dr. Wayne Dyer Radio Podcast. Discover the wisdom and remarkable insights of Dr. Dyer, world-renowned spiritual teacher and foremost authority on how the power of your mind creates your world. Well, I like what you say about aging where, you know, we're still the same person inside, you know, that soul and spirit doesn't change and just the Mm. the outside, you know, the cells are always changing and falling off and doing what they do and regenerating Mm. and all that. So it's kind of cool that we're, we're the same inside. Yeah, we, you know, you know, I, I say I have a picture of myself on the wall in there when I was 21 years old and I was running on the beach and, uh, uh, and I, I look at that picture and I look at my body in the mirror now and I can't find one cell that was in that body <laughs> that's in this one. And yet I thought that's exactly who I was. I was for sure. This is who I am. This, I am this body. And, you know, and, uh, and the fact of it is there's, there's nobody on this whole planet who's more than seven years old. Every single cell in your body regenerates every seven years. And, uh, you know, and I've been reading a lot about, uh, this, this the, the collective hypnotism of, uh, you know, the material body has to die. You know, a lot of the t- teachers of the ancient teachers of the Far East teach this whole idea that, uh, you know, that uh, <clears throat> it's just a collective mistake. De- Deepak Chopra and I used to get lectures together all over the world. And we were at one time at the Palladium in London. And um, I remember him saying aging, somebody asked a question about that. And he said, aging is a mistake of the intellect. And that what what we have done is collectively we bought into this sort of mass hypnosis that everyone who shows up has to die. He said, and until we uh, ultimately, they say that ultimately we will come to a place where we have a realization that um, that the body does not have to die. That the that the DNA that uh, is <clears throat> that constitutes our physical being is hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years old, and it has no aging in it whatsoever. The reason that we can't believe that we have to believe that such a thing as death is absolutely necessary uh, is because uh, you know because we've never known anything else. You know, the only person who's who we've ever heard has resurrected was Jesus. You know, who was really teaching us that the, the end of death is something that will come. They talk about that in the uh, in the New Testament, but we just don't believe that that's a possibility because we've never known anyone who's ever lived. Uh, you know, whose body hasn't died. Um, and what they say is that prologue is not a determination of whether something is possible or not. I, I was saying last night to, when I was had, having dinner, my friends had dinner for me, and um, I was saying, can you imagine that George Washington, you know, just uh, you know, 200, 250 years ago or so, uh, imagining him looking, I was holding a cell phone up. I said, can you imagine what, what, what they would think about this, this thing that we all just sort of just really take for granted? And the fact that planes fly from London uh, over to England all day uh, over to the United States, these kinds of things that we all just take for granted. And it was that would be that it was the idea of uh, being able to get on an airplane and fly uh, to, to England would be as crazy and absurd a thought for someone in the 17th century as the idea now in the 21st century that uh, the death of the body is not something that uh, it's a mistake. It's not something that has to take place. So I've just been kind of open to that idea and, 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 and really practicing and working on seeing if I can, uh, you know, slow that process down or even stop that process by, uh, you know, being very, very, very cautious about we, what we put into our bodies and, uh, you know, and exercising. And, uh, and, but also just changing our, our internal mental attitude toward this idea that, uh, you know, that, that things absolutely have to die. Nothing dies anyway, and we all know this. 
But well, don't we have to make room? <laughs> don't we have to make room for the other generation <laughs> well, to come through? You, yeah, I think what's what we're going to what the, the solution to that is going to be to to look at the infinite number of possibilities for uh, you know life in, in other places on the planet. Another thing we can't even comprehend is how we are going to get to other galaxies and how we're going to get to and explore you know this this universe that is that is got trillions and trillions of. Uh, you know, of, of heavenly bodies floating around with suns and planets and so on. And the idea of being able to go, go someplace that's a million light years away, um, uh, human beings, if we don't destroy ourselves, will be able to figure out a way to sort of demolecularize themselves and uh, remolecularize themselves someplace else. Uh, like we'll like be, on Star Trek. Yeah, no, those, those things are all things that we're <laughs> contemplating. It's all and, coming and, true, right? I've been reading a lot of a man named Thomas Troward. I've, I've been reading about him uh, in the last uh, in the last seven or eight days, and and he talks about the uh, you know that 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 if you want to create something in your life, you have to contemplate yourself as surrounded by the conditions which you would like to see in your life, and and that most people just can't can't get a hold of and contemplate themselves as uh, uh, as attracting what it is that they would like for themselves in their life. You know, they just can't get that. They're contemplating the things that they don't want or that have never been there or, or we've never had. And I'm one of those people like uh, I think it was George Bernard Shaw said that some men dream of things that never were and say why. Or some men look at things as they, and see, as they are and say why. He said, I dream things that never were and say why not. And uh, I, I've always loved that idea of, uh, you know, of, of putting something into my imagination, into my consciousness that, that I have never thought of and maybe no one has ever thought of before, and then being able to see it, you can manifest it. That's always an exciting proposition for me. It's, just, it's been my way since I was a little boy. The only other thing I just wanted to comment briefly on is, uh, once again, it's like the, these postings on... on uh, you know, I, I posted something yesterday, I don't know if you saw my Facebook page, um, where my children, and, and, I, and I've been doing this for years, I've told them, look, whatever money you're going to spend on me, uh, I don't need any presents. I don't need any more shirts. I don't need any, I don't wear ties. I don't need any jewelry. I don't, I don't, I don't need things at all. And I prefer not to have more things. Um, I'm, I'm sort of a Taoist. I just let go of things. Um, <clears throat> but uh, what I'd like you to do is just, um, you know, pool your money or whatever it is and just... Uh, and make a contribution to something that's going to really make a difference in the world, you know, and, and do it in my name if you want to honor me on my birthday, you know. So I turned 75, and my kids sent me this beautiful thing about the, the children in Nepal, you know, uh, with what has happened in the, with the earthquake there where we've lost almost 10,000 people and, and hundreds of thousands of people have been, have been displaced from their homes and so on. Um, and so they just sent me this really nice message that said, Dad, we always know you don't want a present, uh, but... Uh, we all chipped in and we contributed a thousand dollars towards, uh, you know, the children's relief fund through UNICEF uh, for the children of Nepal, and I posted that on Facebook. And I thought that was, you know, and 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 here's the thing: uh, there must have been, I don't know, there were probably four or five hundred people commented on it, and all of them except one uh, had something very positive and nice to say. You know, so that's so very nice. So well, I'm going to do that myself. I think, you know, instead of getting presents, I'm going to ask my kids to put things in my name. You know, just a lot of really, really, really nice comments. I'm talking 99.9%. But that one person, you know, it's like write something. And, and what they wrote was, it doesn't matter what they wrote, but they just said it was pathetic. And, 
and someone who's a spiritual teacher who's got that kind of money and $1,000 is a drop in the bucket and it should have been um, probably thought I should have given a million and, you know, and uh, and probably have this idea that uh, every crisis that comes up on the planet that I should give, you know, a million dollars to or whatever it might be, whatever the logic of it was, it was like a negative comment and I was thinking how easy it is to let go of all of the wonderful things that people say and put your focus on uh, on something that is negative or something that is painful. And then I thought, I'm a, I'm a mature man. I'm 75 years old. I've written books. I mean, I, I, I would think of myself as at least semi-enlightened in this whole area. And, and I recognize that, uh, you know, there are some people out there who just have the need to, to just say something awful or to say something negative. And I was thinking how that little, that, that gesture, my children's gesture of, uh, of combining and putting $1,000 in for that, which was such a nice thing for them to do and will be helpful and motivated a lot of other people to, to do something similar, is all pushed aside in the name of uh, somebody um, you know, putting a, a negative comment out there. And for me, I'm using it as an example, that even if you're a, a, you know, a fully mature, grown adult, those kinds of things, when you read them, you know, they, they kind of, they're a little bit painful. You grab them and you go, ooh, and you're just like, what? I wonder why somebody would say something like that. And, and uh, we're trying to do something nice here, and, uh, and, and they're coming out and saying, yeah, it's nice for you to give a 1,000, but you should have given 100,000, or you should have given whatever it might be, all the should-haves that are out there. And so I just ignore it and, and let it go, and, and I bring it up now because I want to say to everybody out there that, you know, when, first of all, is that this this whole idea of if someone is somewhat emotionally insecure, uh, like a child, and someone puts something out there on the Internet uh, that is, um, you know, th that is very critical and judgmental and, uh, you know, can, can be very painful, you hear stories about children who actually con contemplate suicide or do, who actually do commit suicide um, because of this kind of cyberbullying that can go on out there. When that that um, you know, putting things out there on the internet that are that are hurtful and slanderous and and painful and uh, you know uh, and, and doing all in the name of you know I can just put anything out there it doesn't make any difference what I say. Um, it just we just should really be really careful about that because even even someone like myself is just a, li a little bit uh, shocked at uh, at the insensitivity of someone who would write something up about that, about this very nice deed that my own children had done. So it's like, first of all, number one is don't put, don't pay attention. Don't put your attention on what other people think. It's like I used to always tell my kids when they come home and say, so-and-so doesn't like me. And my first question would always be, do you like you? You know, how do you feel about you? And if you like you, um, then Billy doesn't like you. I said, tomorrow Billy might think that, today Billy thinks you're stupid, tomorrow he might think that you're a, you, that you're a car, you know, or you're a dog, and he, t he tells you to get down on all fours, and uh, he wants to put gasoline in you. Would you be a car because Billy thinks that you're a car? Or whoever this person was that said something negative on my Facebook page, I mean, they could say anything. They could say I was an elephant. They, they could say I was from a, another planet. They could say anything. It wouldn't make it true, but but... The, the important thing is, I guess I want to say is, number one, is to learn how to ignore those kinds of things when people say them about you. And number two is to um, also be very careful yourself about anything, particularly um, with the Internet and, and the, the access that so many people have to it. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's sort of like a, 
a, a form for people to express their road rage, only they do it on the Internet rage, you know. that's like they just go around on different websites and just say really hurtful and nasty things. They're called trolls. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, that is. That is what, that's what, what my friend was telling me, that they're a troll, yeah. Yeah, they're and trolls. They, they, and they go around and, and, and try to incite things and get people worked up. Um, and it's... Uh, it's just something to be aware of. That's so true. And, and words do have an energy, I think. And that old sticks and stones can break my bones, you know, names yes. will never hurt me, which is really not true at all because we know it can be hurtful that, you know, calling kids names or, or being cruel and mean, even just right. verbally, can have a big effect. Absolutely. It isn't just kids. I mean, I, I looked at that and I thought, oh, my goodness, they're sullying something <laughs> that was such a beautiful thought that my kids had. And somebody saying it wasn't enough. You know, it's sort of like, uh, you know, anything that comes your way. And I'm sure the people, the children of Nepal wouldn't say, oh, that's not enough. You know, they would be saying thank you. Right. It, They'd be grateful. Yeah. But yeah, it's a shame been... you had to come across an, an Internet troll. Well, it happens <laughs> it, it, it happens on, on, on every post that I make. I, I'll put a post out there and I'll think it's not possible that there's a one person out there who could say anything negative about this. And before you know it, they've they've. T turned it around and twisted it into a certain way and turned it into something that I had ne never even had a clue about, you know. Right. But you should be yeah. careful of your communication. I'm going to share something really quick that I learned along those lines. Just recently sure. I was I was parking in a very busy parking lot with a girlfriend of mine and someone took mm -hmm. two spots. So uh, I'm like, look at that idiot. They're parking like such a jerk on a busy Saturday. So she goes, you should mm -hmm. leave him a note. So I did. I left a nasty note on their windshield. I uh -huh. said, you park like an idiot. You would need uh, a can opener to get out of here on a busy Saturday. You inconsiderate jerk, blah, blah, blah. And I stuck mm -hmm. it on their on their windshield. And then later I thought about it and I felt bad. And I go, you know, I, I was really putting out some, some evil yeah. vibes on that person's windshield. And who knows what their story was, why they parked like an idiot. And yeah, and not only I reprimanded that, Diane, but, myself for doing yeah. it. I felt well, that's bad. good that you that's called making amends, and I that's did. how you change your subconscious programming. That's how you change it. But I mean, I've had the experience of pulling in, and when I pull in, the only place that I can park is uh, on a uh, right in the middle of a line because that's the way all the other cars. Now the other cars all move away, and it looks like <laughs> right. you know you drive by me, and it looks like I was the one that just pulled in there and just took didn't know how to park a car. When, in fact, it was the only way it was available, you know, a half an hour before. So, yeah. Or it might be somebody who, who, who's in a wheelchair, you know, and, and has to have extra room in order to be able to get their chair into their car. You just never know. That's you know, true. What the, you don't. Yeah. And I felt bad because my, my girlfriend and I were laughing about it because I, I thought it was very cleverly worded, you know, because uh -huh. I said, you're, <laughs> like, you're, you're an idiot, you know, you, you need a, a can opener and all this. Right. <laughs> but, but then I did, I did feel bad. I'm like, you, you shouldn't be putting out, you know, that kind of anger. Because I'm no, sure they, they right. looked at the note no. and went, wow, mm. this angry person yeah. left this note. Well, that's right. And that's, that's <laughs> sort of like what road rage is. That's exactly. A, you know, and there's always stories all the time. I mean, my friend Dee and I, we were running this morning, and she was telling me about somebody whose, whose car, um, I guess it was, uh, they were tailgating, they were too close to them, and he pulled over to, to let them go by. And when he pulled over, the person pulled up behind him. Uh, and then he got out of the car and he came up and he started knocking on the window and screaming at him. And the person who stopped, who, who he had a gun in his uh, glove box and he took it out and killed the guy, killed him. I mean, this was a story that was just on the news recently that, uh, you know, that you just you just never know when you when you send out real negative vibes that you're going, you know, 
and we're such a gun-happy, crazy country with all of the guns and, that we have out there that uh, you just never know when, when those kind of things are ha- going to happen. Right. Just be kind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I learned my it's lesson. Like, yeah. I'll be a well, little kinder was, next that's time. The me- that's the message of higher consciousness. That's what Christ consciousness, that's what Buddha consciousness, that's what we call Siddhi consciousness is, is that, uh, you know, it's like the metaphor I use all often when I speak is the metaphor of the orange. When you squeeze an orange... You get out of it orange juice because that's what's inside. And it doesn't matter who did the squeezing. It doesn't matter what time of day, what instrument you use, what the conditions were. When someone squeezes an orange, you get out what's inside. And if you extend that metaphor to yourself and, and you become the orange and someone squeezes you, puts pressure on you, parks their car wrong, drives too fast next to you, whatever it is, and out of you comes anger and rage and bitterness and tension and hatred and, and so much of that stuff, even what I was talking about on the Internet. Uh, it isn't because of who did the squeezing, like the, what what was. It's because that's what's inside, and it wasn't because of what I posted on my Facebook page that made uh, you know th- this person upset. It w- that had nothing to do with it, because that's what's inside. Someone squeezed him, and out of him came rage and anger. And when you respond to anger and rage with more anger yourself, you just multiply the amount of anger, and you blame the other person for the one for for being the cause of it. When, in fact, that's like blaming uh, the orange because the apple juice doesn't come out. You know, it's like no matter how hard you squeeze that orange, you're not going to get anything other than what's inside. So just be careful what you put inside. That's true. Good metaphor. (laughs) It's a good lesson. (laughs) So you ready ready to chat to some people? You needed a can opener. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I I thought I was very clever, you know. Yeah. And uh, I felt bad. (laughs) It's like that story I tell about when I was in Turkey and, and uh, I didn't give a man the tip because, and I went back and I made amends uh, in in the laboratory there in Ephesus. Uh, and, and the idea is, what you did was you made amends. I mean, you said to yourself, "This is not something that I want to do," you know. And um, and and then you remember it, and still, even now, how long ago that was, uh, you know, it's like it's still a reminder, and it's likely something you'll never do again. That's how you re- that's how you reprogram your subconscious mind by recognizing what you've just done, recognizing the thought behind it, and then changing it and saying, okay, I'm not going to do that. Maybe going back and taking the note off or, or whatever it might be. And then it gets reinforced and you've got a new subconscious mind that, that only comes from kindness. Right. Anyway. <laughs> All right, true. let's go to the phone. <laughs> okay, ready? Uh, sure. Let's go to Donna in Boston. And she's on line one. Thanks for holding, Donna. Hi, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Donna, I really appreciate taking my call. Thank you. Nice to meet with you, Donna. How are things in Boston? Did it stop? finally well, stop snowing? Finally. <laughs> <laughs> We've been getting great, beautiful weather. Being oh, good. 75, 80 degrees, so can't complain uh, about that. Can't, can't complain. It doesn't matter anyway. We needed the snow, so. I know, I know. Yeah. Well, I, um, I'm so excited. You know, I, I've had a lot of uh, things going on in my life, one in particular, and was a situation that was acted as my teacher. And the more conscious I get in, in as I evolve and wake up to what my reality really is, the more these things keep showing up. And I just briefly, I'll tell you a quick story, was I wanted to get a second dog for my current two-year-old dog for a playmate to have. And um, mm-hmm. I went on the internet, and I found a, be- a beautiful breeder on the internet. And they had sent me pictures, and we went back and forth with 
the, the uh, personality, and it was a perfect fit. I got the I, the um, dog was shipped via truck, and mm-hmm. it was like two or three days worth of of, uh, of travel time. And um, when I went to pick him up, the man uh, got out of the van and handed this dog to me, who I held in my in my arms, and my son was able to drive us home. But this dog was very malnourished, very scared, not social at all, um, mm-hmm. was frightened of any new situation, and he just, he was shaking, and it took me over two hours to get him in the house. Um, didn't know how to walk, didn't know what a collar was, didn't know. So this obviously confused and devastated me and broke my heart to tears. Because mm-hmm. my, I was filled with so much grief for this poor innocent dog. And so the first couple of days, I didn't know what to do. I just held him and cried, and tried to get him out of his shell, and nothing was working. So I reached out to my vet and the trainer. The vet said, "Bring him in, let's assess him." And she had told me, she said, "Why did you get this dog?" I said, "Well, I wanted a playmate for my for my dog." She said, "This will never be a playmate for your dog." This dog is a puppy mill dog. He was abused. He has no social skills. He has no inter- no interaction with humans at all. Well, very few. Um, and he's been through a lot of trauma. Okay, and before course, you go on, before you go on, what was your immediate reaction to what the vet said? I, I was, I was, hor- I was horrified. I. I actually instinctively knew something was wrong, mm-hmm. it, but I didn't want to face it. No, and but I mean, when the, when the vet said that this dog could never be, uh, you know, socialized with other animals or with other people, what was your first thought when, the, when the, he said that? I was confused. I just thought, mm. I, 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 I have a trainer. In in the back of my mind, I said, "I'm going to call my trainer and see if this this is the case." And she was she wasn't very uh, she was just giving saying, saying it like it was. And um, in hindsight, I wish she was a little bit more nurturing, but maybe that's what I needed. So I took the dog home and called the trainer and spelled out the whole story. And she had said. He will be able to be rehabilitated. It's just that you may not be able to be the one to do it. Mm-hmm. And that this dog is going to take a lot of time and effort and training. And are you up for that? Is this what you signed up for? Mm-hmm. And again, um, I, I was not letting guilt hit me, but it did at that time. Because no, that's not what I signed up for. But all I wanted was the best situation outcome for mm-hmm. this dog yeah so you know and and what had happened was um you do what you do you reach out to friends and you tell them you know what what should i do and then people were telling me the difference between a kennel and a foster home and i said well a foster home would make total sense and within a day i had two foster parents ready to, to take this dog into their home where they take they mm-hmm. see this all the time and they rehabilitate them and I had to drive uh-huh. an hour and a half up to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, to meet them. And they were uh, Rachel and Tony, and I, I called them my angels. 
I said, you are just angels. You, you know, this is what they do. They, they mm-hmm. live for this. And this dog is, is being, he's in with other dogs now, so he's getting social. Mm-hmm. And um, I had had people say to me, just what you were talking about earlier, Dr. Dyer, about, you know, being mean to other people. And right. I would mm-hmm. have spent my whole energy writing, calling those, the people who did this to me, writing letters, posting posts on Facebook. And, mm-hmm. and, and I had people tell me, why aren't you doing that? And I said, I can't. My yep. energy has to go in the opposite direction. It's not going to help that dog if I do this. Absolutely. And I just want to comment just briefly on it because we've got, you know, a lot of calls and lined up here. But, um, you know, when someone when when someone says that something is impossible, you know, that this dog can never or it's very much like when someone gives a diagnosis of, uh, you know, something isn't being incurable or that you'll you know, you'll never walk again or that, uh, you know, my my dear friend Raquel Roney, um, whom I married, who's been in a wheelchair since she was 12 years old and you know, and was told that she could never, ever have children and all that. She just gave birth to a daughter, you know, just a few months ago. She was at my talk there in Denver, um, and she's been a paraplegic, you know, for her whole um, That the, the, there's something, it triggers something in me that says, you know, I, I know that I can do, I can do better than just assign, you know, assign this dog to a life of, uh, you know, uh, either, either being killed uh, or put to sleep or um, not, uh you know, just giving up on it, and this, this yeah. somehow the idea of giving up on something is, inside of me has always been uh, something that's just is, is it's very, very, very difficult for me to do. That would be such an ultimate challenge for me to be able to see if I could turn that that dog's life around. And it sounds like that's exactly where you came from. Instead of coming from a place of anger and and and, and resentment and uh, and revenge. Uh, uh, in, instead, coming from a place of love and, and driving an hour and a half to make sure that something really nice was done for that, I really applaud you yes. for that. That's a, thank yeah. you. And it was it was my son who said to me, "Mom, you know what what you got out of this." And as I was still in tears, I said, "What?" He said, "You saved his life." Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Instead of just saying, "Oh my gosh, that's like this is a terrible thing and it shouldn't happen," it's that the uh, that inner candle flame that just won't flicker, the, the, the worst goes before you. There's something inside of us that says, you know, that I can turn this around or I can change that. Or I'm going to have to be patient with that. And, you know, I, I, watch, uh, I watch people who work with children, you know, who, um, who, who have, you know, very difficult to manage uh, behaviors and so on, um, that, who have this incredible patience to be able to just, you know, send them love. I watch mothers, you know, when, when children are really erratic and acting crazy and instead of them acting crazy and erratic themselves something very like a calmness comes out out of them and it helps the child to realize that they have another way of, of reacting uh, I've seen people do that I have a, a dear friend of mine her name is Tiffany she uh, she worked with the special needs kids in, in school for years and years and years and I watch her even with her own children and she's uh, you know, always very loving and always very patient, even when they're behaving in ways that, um, you know, might call for, you know, being angry or being hateful or, or just or yelling at them or being judgmental. Um, that like our somehow our original nature is one of gentleness and kindness. You know, I, I always agree. remember what the, the, the yeah, Course in Miracles says, uh, you know, the memory of God comes to the quiet mind. It cannot come where there is conflict. A man, a mind at war with itself, 
remembers not eternal gentleness. You know, that we come from eternal gentleness. It's our nature. I've spent a lot of time in the last few months around uh, newborns. My, the lady who works for me, Dee, um, she, uh, she's had a newborn. Uh, my friend Tiffany, she's just got a newborn who's only three months old. He was over here the other day. I've been talking to, you know, looking at the, and I was, every time I look at them, I think of what Lao Tzu said. Our, you know, these are just helpless little creatures. Just same with the dog. They're just helpless. They, they can't survive even for like a half a day unless we're, we're there to support them and to serve them and to care for them, take care of every one of their needs. It's our original nature. That's why we survive as a species, because we don't come from a place of hostility and internal angst and, and revenge. We come from a place of peace and love, and that's why we are able to survive, because all of our infants couldn't survive if we were coming from a place of anything other than love and gentleness. And yet somehow we forget it. I think that's kind of a theme of today's show. We forget it. We forget it in the, on the Internet. We forget it when somebody does something that we don't like. And, and we forget that when someone squeezes us, it's what's inside that comes out of us. And if we could change what's inside, you know, we could change things like anger and resentment and tension and fear and drug addiction and violence and all of these kind of things. We could, we could eliminate that by just changing around how we process events in life. And I, I love what you did. I want to send you a copy of our book my, that my daughter wrote. Uh, it's called Don't Die With Your Music Still In You. It's my experience growing up with spiritual parents. She talks a lot about how she was. Uh, it's from Serena, my daughter, who just gave birth. Oh, also I would to love that. I, I, yeah. It's funny because I have that on my signature because I love that. That and um, the, the, you always say um, when you change the way you look at things, look at things, things, you, look things at you look at change. Right, yeah. <laughs> Well, you're going to love this book. It's a really beautiful book. She did a great job, and she's now uh, she's oh, now a I'd new mom. Yesterday was her first day. Uh, yesterday was her first Mother's Day as a mother. Um, oh, wonderful! Yeah. That's wonderful. So, my little granddaughter, a sailor. Thank you very much, Donna, for your call in Boston. God bless you, dear. To find out more about Dr. Wayne Dyer or any other Hay House author, please visit hayhouse.com. Thank you for listening.